Hello and welcome to the Jackcast, the Swansea City podcast. I am Git Dothawillin and with me, as always, we have Steve Carroll. How are you, Steve? Uh, I'm not bad, thanks. How are you? Not bad, not bad. A little bit frustrated and stressed after last night's match against Millwall, which I'm sure is the main reason a lot of you have tuned in, but we'll uh, get to that in a bit. We've also got, of course, our first win of the season away at Blackpool to discuss. I'm sure Steve will love discussing that away day. We'll go on as well to look ahead to the Luton Town match on Saturday down at the Liberty, as well as, of course, that ridiculously dramatic match against Millwall. Um, but, Steve, we want to start off, unfortunately, on a, on a very sad note, uh, very, uh, 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 well, a topic that we knew we were going to have to discuss at some point. But sadly, the news broke this week that former Swans player and one of the heroes of that match against Hull City back in 2003, Lenny John Rose, has sadly passed away following his um, his battle against motor neuron disease. Steve, de- desperately sad news. A uh, player who played, who was only at the Swans for a, a very short space of time, really, but played quite a big part, really, looking back in uh, in the club's history. Yeah, obviously, uh, awful news. Um, not entirely unexpected, obviously, because you know, MND is such a horrific, you know, illness, and it's one that um, you know uh, doesn't have a long lifespan, unfortunately. So. Yeah, it was it was a bit of a shock though because it, we didn't know that uh, just how bad it had got in the end. And I think he'd done an interview with BBC Sport last month, so that indicated you know that he was still up to you know speaking to the press. But yeah, uh, really sad. But a man who will we'll never forget. I mean, as you say, he wasn't here for a huge amount of time, but um, you know he's left a, a big impression on the area. You know, played a big part in the Great Escape, didn't he? In in two thousand and three, where you know, let's be honest, it was, you know, our lowest ebb, wasn't it, when he, he came through the door in January 2003. We were on a horrendous run. It, it, I think a lot of people probably felt we were going to slip out with the Football League. And, um, you know, there were some crucial moments from him. And obviously on the final day against Hull where, you know, we, we needed the win at 2-2. He's in the goalmouth scramble. He's managed to get us a goal. And that was the decisive goal, really, wasn't it? Um, so... Yeah, that was it was huge, um, and you know the the course of the history of this football club did change after that game. I mean, we were obviously so much more successful over the last twenty years, and you know we we owe him a lot, really. I mean, with, without that, I mean, who knows what would have happened? May not have had the Liberty Stadium, we wouldn't have, you know, the likes of Leon Britton probably wouldn't have signed uh, permanently, same as Roberto Martinez, no Lee Trundle, I I wouldn't have thought. Um, you know, it's 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 impossible really to explain just how big a moment it was. And you know, he stayed again the following year when we were rebuilding with mainly younger players, wasn't it? And mm-hmm. started the season like a house on fire. Martinez got injured, so I think John Rose actually was was the captain in quite a few games uh, that season because there weren't that many uh, experienced players at the club. And um, obviously, we had a nice run, didn't we, to the fifth round of the FA Cup? So. You know they were, you know they were happy times. I mean, I, I look back on that, and you know that was the beginning of the recovery of the club. We were playing some nice football, especially after the the time that we stayed. Probably the most exciting Swansea team I'd I'd seen to that point. So, you know, a lot of um, a lot of happy memories, and um, you know, just just really sad what's happened. And 
are thought of with um, his friends and family, really, aren't they? Absolutely, absolutely. It's a, it's an awful loss for them, and can't imagine what they're going through at the moment and the pain that they've been going through now for a number of years since his diagnosis. But you know, one thing I will say is um, it spoke volumes about Lenny John Rose the way he approached the diagnosis, the way he approached his condition because. He always seemed extremely positive. He always seemed um, keen to make the best of of an awful hand that he'd been dealt by by God, really. And um, he, you know, he he made an impact in his final years um, on the on this planet. And it's, um, you know, he's he was an inspirational figure in those um, in those final years. And he did a lot to you know to raise a profile about MND as well. And you know, I think I think his family can be extremely proud of of the legacy that he's left behind, and he will be extremely fondly remembered, not just at Swansea but at other clubs he's played at. Um, we've seen tributes flow in from from all from all the clubs that he's represented. So that's really a measure of the man, and it's um, it, it's just horrendous, really, that he's had to you know leave us at at such a young age and. Um, yeah, just just desperately sad news, but um, a, a fitting tribute before the uh, home game against Millwall. Uh, Kevin Johns, who's always so good at this kind of thing, you know, really summed up, I think, the feelings of the Jack Army and the gratitude that we feel towards him, as well as the the sympathy that's extended towards his family. So, um, yeah, just want to extend our deepest sympathies to the John Rose family, but also our gratitude to Lenny John Rose for what he did to this club and the, the the platform that he helped lay for the future success and you know the the growth that's led us to this point really so um yeah we, he is a player who will never be forgotten and it's um it's just a, an awful shame uh, what's happened to him but we um we wish his family all the best now let's um, move on to discuss the swans first win of the season steve you were up in Blackpool over the weekend. Before we move on to the football, I mean, I got to ask you, what what was Blackpool like? Heatwave in Blackpool, watching the football. What I mean, I can't pretend I wasn't jealous. Uh, well, I I can understand that to be honest. The only thing I would say, and this will lighten the mood slightly, is that uh, you know I'm sure quite a few of our listeners were either in Blackpool or have been to Blackpool um, at some point. Uh, yeah, our B&B um, had no aircon. No, well, my room had no fans. And also, the check-in was 3 o'clock. I arrived at 6 o'clock on Friday, and the room wasn't even ready. So, yeah, that was not the best start. But um, Blackpool's Blackpool, isn't it? It's an acquired taste, a bit of a marmite. Now, I would say that, from my point of view, it's quite possibly the greatest place in the entire world. But <laughs> there's a lot of people who probably don't share that view. I mean, it's a shame Matt is not on, because... I gave Blackpool the big build-up on the way up, and he said this place can only disappoint after what you've said. And now the man absolutely loves it. So um, yes, um, yeah, it was wild. There's, there's no other way of um, of looking at it. Great fun. I mean, anyone who was in the Manchester uh, will probably remember it quite well. Um, or not. <laughs> or yeah, they may or have not, a lot of blanks. It probably will, mainly because it was so hot in there. Um, it was so hot that in the end, people were just going outside, basically. But um, yeah, it was it was great fun. I mean, you, you can't beat it. You get in there, and I think I was in there about half past ten. By eleven, they're playing blasted music, and the first song they play is Swansea with Swansea. 
then you play Daydream Believer and you're just thinking, well, this is, you know, what, what more does a person want? It's brilliant. It's only 10 minutes from the ground. And um, I think at that point, everyone's thinking the day has probably peaked. You know, um, and you don't really know what else is, is going to happen. But um, yeah, obviously we did, um, the, the game did end up being uh, quite enjoyable as well, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, I've never been to Blackpool. I've never been to the Manchester pub. But I feel like I know the place like the back of my hand after this weekend. The amount of photos and videos that I've seen on social media of people having an amazing time at that place. Um, yeah, I feel like it's it's all so familiar. I have to ask you before we get on to talk about the game. Um, it looked like a rowdy atmosphere at the Manchester. What did the locals and other visitors to Blackpool think? Did you get any kind of strange looks? Um, people wondering what on earth was going on. Um, not really, to be honest. It was a bit surprising, but I was in the, the pub for most of it because I was thinking to myself, the Blackpool Air Show was on on Saturday, and I had visions of like, they, obviously, it was really, really busy there, as it always is at this time of year on a weekend. And I just had visions of people, families especially, walking past the Manchester and just looking in absolute disgust at <laughs> the fact that we were all in there enjoying ourselves, having a drink, blasting music, singing uh, all our songs. And if, let's be honest, there were probably a lot of people who did walk past, or some that did, and decided to like cross the road and thought, good God, we can't go anywhere near that lot. Um, but I, I can't say I saw that, but you know, they, they were probably thinking, I mean, that for me, what sums the place up is that they did actually have a banner on the door this time, or like by the, by the window that said, oh, we, we welcome Swansea City fans to the one of the best away pubs, and it's like, they actively want you in here, and I'm thinking... But you're being quite modest here because you're not saying that, uh, one of the best here because it is the best. It can't. There cannot be a better pub. There isn't a better pub, arguably, in the country. It is lit if, in terms of if you want a pre-match experience, it's the best by far. And um, yeah, I don't know when Blackpool at home is, but I do think maybe we should consider writing a letter to them and saying, look, we're more than happy to switch this fixture to Bloomfield Road if... Uh, if that's what you want, no one's going to complain, I don't think. But uh, unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen. No, no. There's always next year. Um, let's move on to the game because the Swans were under a bit of pressure, let's face it, after the first two games, particularly the uh, the defeat away at Blackpool, uh, Blackburn, uh, sorry, home to Blackburn, I should say, and, of course, the uh, League Cup exit at the hands of Oxford. How did the Swans react in the first half to that pressure from those games? I thought we were better, I've got to be honest. Um, obviously, the, the team selection was a little bit surprising, but I thought it worked quite well. I mean, playing Manning as a left winger and Soren Ola as a right. Norton left back, Latter Baudier right back. It was, there was something better about it. I know Manning and Soren Ola are in general, they're probably more suited to being fullbacks than the wingers, but it did feel like it was a a better thing. I mean, Manning, for example, has always been good at, you know, he's good on the ball, isn't he? And I would back him to put good balls into the box and, and stuff like that. But um, but it, it was better. I felt we were unlucky in the first half not to be in front. I've got to be honest, because you know, Grimes in particular was playing some quite ambitious passes, which was good to see because sometimes he can be a little bit safe. But there was a couple he was playing and I was thinking, well, if we carry on doing this, we're going to get in. I think there was a good one with Aubrey um, where I think he might have been flagged offside and there was a Another one where he had a heavy touch. But I was just thinking to myself, if we keep playing these passes, keep asking these questions, we're going to have some joy at some point. So there was that. I mean, I think Fulton had a good chance just before half time, and it was genuinely quite encouraging. I was, I did feel a lot better compared to what we'd seen 
previously. It was just a bit frustrating, really, that we didn't have that goal at half-time that I'd say we think we deserved. And it looked as if it was going to be an even more frustrating day when, what was it, five minutes into the second half, the referee pointed to the spot. And I'm not sure if we're going to see a worse dive get a, get a decision go its way this season because you look back at the replay and Harry Darling kind of goes down looking like he's about to make a challenge, but he never actually sticks his boot in. He is a good, at, at the nearest point, he's probably about a foot away from the player who goes down. I can't remember who it was for Blackpool now who actually dived, but he throws himself to the ground. You can instantly see the Swans player's reaction, turn to the ref and say, you dare give this penalty. And of course, he he points to the spot. I mean, what was the mood like in the in the in the way end when that happened? I think frustration really. I wasn't convinced it was a penalty, although you're up when you're on the side of the pitch. Um, you know, the view wasn't necessarily the best from the angle that I had to tell, but I my instinct was it looked dodgy, and obviously you've seen the replay, and yeah, it, it is a dive, and it was frustrating really. Um, I think the other issue was we we sort of were the victims of of our own downfall with it because we were overplaying it a little bit and taking one too many risks and in the end it led to us giving it away and, and obviously inevitably the penalty so you know I think that was frustrating from my point of view but to be fair Andy Fisher has made a good save hasn't he I didn't think it was the best penalty in the world but at the same time it doesn't matter a penalty is a penalty the goalkeeper saves it you've got to be delighted because it's a major let off isn't it and if that ball goes in we're then chasing again you're just feeling this frustration you know, that we've been the better side to this point and we're now behind and we've been done in, basically. And, you know, you, you always first goal always feels crucial in a game, doesn't it? And if we were to have gone behind, you know, the chances of us winning were would have been quite slim, I would have thought. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was a shocker of a penalty. Just, just a terrible, terrible penalty. And while you've got to praise any penalty save... Um, I would say that was one of the easier ones, I guess, um, that, that Fisher will ever have to make in his in his career. But still, very well done for Andy Fisher for making that save, and it kept the score at nil nil. I'll be honest, watching that second half, it felt like nil nil was going to be the final score. I thought it looked, especially in the second half, if they looked like two teams who had been battered by the heat. It looked like hard work. You know, there was some strained passing everything looked like hard work um there were a couple of mistakes um blackpool had one or two chances from you know us just being a bit too open a bit too slack at the back um but uh, but i just didn't think either team was going to win and then you know quite quite late on really we get that decisive moment and i can't i can't imagine what it was like in the away end when one when obafemi gets free and Two, when he passes it to Ncham. And three, when he finally, finally gets it out of his feet and scores because there was a very nervous second there where I thought he was going to mess it up. Yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, all those things, really. I mean, it was. I still find it quite amazing that, you know, Obafemi has got in one-on-one from 40 yards, you know, in that situation. I mean, for me, it's the type of goal you usually score when, you know, you might be 1-0 up, you're hanging on. And the opposition are obviously throwing everything at you to get an equaliser late on. 
I'd be fuming if I was a Blackpool fan. I'd be absolutely fuming that we were caught in that. If you, if I, if my team was caught in that kind of situation, it's the kind of thing I'd expect from the Swans. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not quite sure how they left themselves so exposed. Yeah, I mean that's what I mean. It, it was amazing. I, you know, there's, all, there's a couple of pillars in in the way at one point. So we all finally got. Wait, I was like, he's actually injured. He? And then you can imagine, and you always get that anticipation, don't you, before a massive chance. It's so late in the game, and you're thinking. If we're going to win, this needs to be it. To be fair, and Cham, I've never seen the man run so quick in my life. I actually thought he had a bit of a shocker when he came on. But he's ran up there, and he's given Oberfemi the option. And he's done the right thing, obviously. He's passed to him. And as you say, at that point, you're thinking, it's got to be a goal. He takes the touch, and I'm completely down the other end at this point, you know, away from uh, the goal. So I don't know <laughs> what's going on, really. But then eventually he's tapped it in. My mate has shoved me. I've ended up on the floor. Loads of other people have ended up on the floor. It's absolute carnage, as you can imagine. Um, yeah, well, I'm sure some you've seen some of the, the videos online. I'm in the actual block where the Swans fan camera is. I'm right at the back. Obviously, you can't see me because obviously I've gone down like a sack of spuds. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was wild when uh, when that went in. And obviously for a lot of people, it's the first goal that they'd. They'd seen this season, probably, wasn't it? I mean, obviously, we hadn't scored in the first home game. They get a goal at Rotherham, but yeah, um, a bit of frustration probably came out in that goal. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was a special moment and uh, one that will uh, live long in the memory, I think. Yeah, I've seen some videos of very, very sweaty Swans fans just falling on top of each other. It looks like the, mo- the most gross pylon you've ever seen in your life. But that video from the Swans um, social media account showing the limbs, as they call it, in the away end, absolutely brilliant. Absolutely amazing. I love those videos. Do, I, do you know what? I've got the stage right where these days when I watch highlights, I, I'll often watch the goal through once and then I'll rewind to watch it again and this time just concentrate on the crowd reaction because honestly, a good crowd reaction is ah, oh, it's it's hard to beat. It really is. There's just something beautiful about it. Oh, there is, and it? it's funny you should say that because um, I was with um, Mitch, who obviously we had on um, the podcast a couple of weeks ago. I had a few drinks with him on the weekend, and I saw a couple of the people from the Swans media team, including um, Andrew Gwillem, and um, I was actually saying to him the lot the how good the online content is because. To be fair, I think it has been now over the last couple of years. I think it's, it's been very good. And I think, you know, we should always give credit for what it has. And I did comment on the um, the Cardiff, uh, you know, fan cam, which is probably one of the great videos of all time. And um, I said, like, how good that was, really. And it's good to see that they, they did a similar one on, on Saturday, really, wasn't it? Um, it's always quite interesting to watch. I think you can watch them so many times and you'll just notice someone or something different every time, wouldn't you? Where it's someone falling over or someone celebrating in a, a really strange way or something like that. They are quite amusing. But, you know, I think they're, they're just so relatable, aren't they? Because we have these, you know, where, when, the, when the goals do go in, and especially when they're big goals or whatever, it's, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Um, you know, that's why we travel the, the length and breadth of the country, because, you know, in hope that you get these type of, um, of moments. And, um, you know, we, uh, we had one on, on Saturday, which was, was great. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of those videos, same as you. Oh, I love them. I absolutely love them. Um, so the Swans managed to hold on. 1-0 win, big win, first win of the season in, in difficult conditions as well because the heat was 
well across the country just absolutely insane really so you can't i can't imagine what it was like playing 90 minutes of football in that but kind what of was on chan doing wearing thermals that's what i want to know i joe it the two craziest things at, at the weekend and chan wearing thermal and scott parker wearing a cardigan i mean uh, it was honestly it was unbearable like um i was lucky i was in the shade during the game like I can't express how bad, like how hot it was. Like it was extreme, and as you say, I'm not surprised that it it would have spilt over onto the pitch. I mean, because just just walking out in it for a few minutes was, was bad. I mean, playing 90 minutes in it must have been horrendous. Oh, it must have been absolute hell for the players. Um, and it did look like it had an impact in the second half. I'll be honest, it may have had an impact on Cham's performance because, like you said, apart from the goal, I thought he was awful. <laughs> I thought he was absolutely shocking. Didn't just didn't do anything right, really. His touch was all over the place. His passing was poor. Um, but he came up with, you know, the important intervention where it was most needed and, and got us the three points. So, you know, as long as he does that, I guess that's, that's all that matters. But... Um, yeah, how how well where does it rate for you in terms of away days? Because in theory, uh, an August away day during a heat wave in Blackpool, seeing us win, it, that should be very high on the list, really. The truth is, though, with, with general away days, uh, I think we have been spoiled. I think you know, there've been so many of them there, but um, I think the thing with Blackpool is, I remember going in March, obviously, and I know we we lost one nil and it was crap. But it was still absolutely brilliant because of how good the weekend is and how good like the Manchester is before the game and stuff like that. So, like I still put them sort of similar if that makes sense. Like it's, obviously this one has to be better because we did end up with the the late winner. But it's it's just such a good one in general if it falls on a Saturday, you know, towards the beginning or the end of the season that the you know it it doesn't feel like the results you know will will dampen it too much if it doesn't go our way so it's a funny one I think it might have been different if it was you know, if it's late in the season and it's a big game and you get a win then it must be like oh this world if you know what I mean but um, yeah it's it's definitely one of the better ones in, in recent years but I mean I, if I'm looking back more recently Cardiff was better obviously I think Bristol City last year was better Ooh. Um, yeah uh, well, so, 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 from, from the point of view of the game, if that makes sense. Yeah. But the whole experience, arguably, Blackpool is the best. But, um, yeah, I think the, the, the truth is, right, as good as it is at Blackpool, right, people get so smashed in the Manchester <laughs> that the atmosphere in the game is never quite as good, if that makes sense. Like, Bristol City last year was unbelievable for atmosphere for the entire game. And, obviously, Cardiff is amazing as well. But I don't think the atmosphere was quite as good at Blackpool because... People are so hammered, they're beginning to sober up at this point. So, yeah, I think that does impact it slightly. There we go. There we go. The, 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 yeah, it's, it's never fun when the hangover kicks, kicks in before the game starts. That's, um, that's never a good thing. So, very positive result the weekend. Swans getting their first win of the season. Always a big landmark. So, a bit more confidence going into the Tuesday night match against Millwall, a Millwall team who had started the season reasonably well, two home wins and one away defeat. Uh, And just before, well, they went into this game on the back of a very impressive comeback um, against Coventry, where they came back from 2-0 down to win 3-2. Unfortunately, Steve, it wasn't the only comeback uh, that Millwall would have this week, but we'll get on to that. Let's start off by talking about a blistering start from the Swans, because 
again, this was a game I was worried about because of how bad the Blackburn performance was and because of the, the awful vibes that had been created in that match. Um, I was worried that if things went a little bit awry in this game, if we struggled a little bit, it wouldn't take much for the crowd to get on the players' back. So to score within the first minute was the absolute perfect start. Yeah, absolutely. I um, when I was fanzine saying I was, you know, having a quick chat with one or two people, and I did say that you know Millwall is the type of team they're going to sit deep. If we can score early, it just completely throws their game plan out of the window. And um, obviously, by early, I was thinking maybe in the first ten to fifteen minutes. I was not expecting in the first minute, but uh, obviously, you're not going to complain about it. But um, yeah, it was probably one of the quickest goals you scored in years, isn't it? Um, you can never think you're going to score that early, but um, you know, it was to be fair, it was a good goal as well. A nice little flick on from and Cham, who was a completely different player to uh, what he was on um, Saturday. And like I said, Manning has, has got quality, and um, it was a lovely finish, wasn't it? And uh, I think at that point, we were all feeling uh, quite optimistic, weren't we? Absolutely. And then, you know, there was a possibly a bad miss, really, from uh, Joe Latibaudier. But then Michael Obafemi getting his first goal of the season in some style, too. How important is it that he's now off the mark? Yeah, um, it's, it's vital, really, isn't it? I mean, he was brilliant for us last season. So, um, you know, once he got into the team, and obviously him and Perot having not scored yet, was a, you know, you're always hoping at least one of them is going to be firing. And yeah, he, he took it superbly as well, didn't he? I think that was the, the great thing about it. I mean, it was some lovely skill and then a great finish. I mean, it was past the keeper before he had a chance to dive. So, you know, it's sort of typical that he scored a brilliant goal after, you know, the, the, the miss of the season the other week. But um, yeah, it was it was a lovely, lovely goal. And um, yeah, I think, you know, two up in 12 minutes is, is dreamland really, isn't it? So... Yeah, I think we're all feeling great. Um, at this point, we're playing well. You know, the confidence is up. As you said, Lata Baudier had that great chance as well. Whether the flag would have gone up if the ball had gone in, I, I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, it was it was just so much more encouraging, wasn't it? It was chalk and cheese compared to the previous home game. And, um, you know, it was quite enjoyable. Um, and Because often, you know, you get some of these midweek games and, you know, I think a lot of people don't really enjoy them. It's, you know... It's a bit of a rush from work, isn't it? The, the weather isn't always great, although you know, it, was, it was raining a little bit typically last night after some lovely weather, obviously, over the weekend. Um, but it just seemed like everyone was, was really up for it last night then because we, we'd started so well. So, I mean, that was great. I, I loved that first half in particular. I thought we were really good. We controlled the game as well as I can remember us controlling any game for a long time. The passing was sharp. It wasn't... I think we took risks in the right areas. We didn't take need, too many needless risks in bad areas. Um, it was, you know, we were still creating one or two chances. There were some really nice passages of play. I thought, um, well, I'll get your opinion on this. I Two players who stood out for me, I thought Cham had his best game possibly since he came on against Luton in the three-all, um, where he totally changed the... The dynamic of that match in uh, um, well, way back in what would have been September, around September yeah, last September year. September last year. Um, but I, th- I thought it was. I thought and Cham just showed what he can do when he is fit and firing. Uh, it, it, he is such a good player to watch when he's when he's on form, and it's just a shame we don't see it often enough. Because if he played like that on a more regular basis, 
oh, we'd be such a better team. We really would. He's that talented. It's just a question of getting that out of him on a more regular basis. But the other player that stood out for me was um, was Joe Allen in midfield. I thought he made a heck of a difference, not just in kind of the passing, but adding him in a bite in midfield as well, putting in those tackles, even had a, a, a fantastic shot in the second half, which wasn't far off going in, really. I, I thought he was brilliant, really, and the kind of performance that we wanted to see from him when we uh, when we signed him in the summer. Yeah, I'm, to be honest, they were the two players that I was going to uh, mention. I mean, how good was it to see Joe Allen again in a, a Swan shirt? It was just marvellous when they And as you said, he, he really did make such a difference. I mean, there was that you know, a few seconds in the second half where he made two challenges, got proper stuck in, you know, winning the ball, gets the crowd up. We just think, God, we've, we've missed him. It's, uh, it was just so good to um, to see him with us again. And as you say, that shot, I mean, keepers made a really good save, to be fair. And it's a, you know, you wouldn't associate a, you know, a left-footed worldie with, uh, with Joe Allen, would you usually? So, yeah, I think that was really encouraging. Um, and like you say, with Uncham, the same thing. I feel, it felt like his... His confidence was up really after um, getting that goal the other day. And, you know, if we could see that from him all the time, God, what a player we would have. Because I also think he could be one of the best players in this division if he were showing that. I mean, we're talking about a guy that Porto tried to buy off Celtic a few years ago for well over 10 million. I mean, this is a supremely talented player. And it's really frustrating that at times we don't see that. And I think he's, I worry we're, we're never going to see, you know, that on a consistent basis. Uh, if I'm honest, it'd be it's one of the most. Mm-hmm. He had a consistently good spell. I'd be tempted to cash in purely because I don't trust him enough to do it all the time, which is frustrating because he really is a talented player. But um, you know, he he really showed it last night, and that was great. I mean, if we can see more of the same going forward, then with with those two, then it's going to be a big improvement for us. And we, you know, hopefully we won't see scenes of what happened at, at the end. But um, you know, I think the the, the shame is really. Both players could not last 90 minutes, could they? Joe was only just come back off an injury. Inevitably, he couldn't play much more than an hour. It would have been ridiculous to have left him on longer than that. It was the right decision. And then Cham is sort of similar, isn't he? He's not really a 90-minute player. So the frustration is the bench obviously was was a little bit uh, weak. And it, and it is in most areas, really, isn't it? But, I mean, the manager had to, had to take them off and you know think about the bigger picture, really, didn't he? Yeah, and and I think the lack of depth showed really. I don't think you know our levels dipped massively instant after instantly after they went off, but it is a shame that we don't have better players to come on off the bench and control a game um, in that kind of situation. But I mean, generally over the first ninety minutes, um, I thought the Swans were were really good. I, I thought our passing was was much better. We were creative create chances to score defensively even I thought we were um better than we have been definitely um dealt with a lot of Millwall's main threats very very well um thought we dealt with their set piece threat quite well because it is a major strength of Millwall's and it was something I was really worried about before kickoff but you know we we managed to we managed to frustrate them in that area and um players like Nathan Wood pleasantly surprised by how good he was um thought he had a really good composed game nobody had a real shocker as far as I'm concerned um a lot of very good performances but what well let's get on to it what went wrong then what how how did we not end up winning that game where as far as I'm concerned we were quite 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 comprehensively the better team over the 90 minutes 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, to be fair, Millwall did have some chances. I mean, they did hit the bar early on, didn't they, for example? Oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying Millwall were bad. I'm saying we were good to keep, yes. no, like, well, good, I, keep a good team quiet. Well, yeah, as quiet I, I, as as quiet I, as we did. I just, yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, they, it's just they did have some chances, didn't they? I mean, the the one just before the the first goal. I mean, Fisher's come out. He was in no man's land, really, wasn't it? I mean, that could have gone in. That was a bit of a warning. Um, but then you look at the, the the first goal. To be fair, it's a, it's a good ball down the line. And then when those when a cross goes into the box that is in behind, you know, in between the centre halves of the goalkeeper. They can be dangerous to defend, can't they? I mean, what there's always confusion sometimes, isn't there, about defenders. Do you leave it or do you go for the ball? And I always think you probably need to go for it because if you don't take responsibility, then, you know, and there's a striker behind you, it's like, well, what are you doing? But obviously you do then run the risk of, you know, um, conceding. And that's that's what happened uh, really with that, that first one when the, the Cabango's gone for it and then it's hit Darling. It's a bit unlucky, um, but very frustrating at the same time. I mean, like... I'm sure you like me, though, probably wasn't really panicking massively, thinking, well, the clean sheet has gone. I mean, there's only there's not long left. I mean, they probably haven't got enough time to score again. But I think what frustrated me the most was that from the kickoff, we just launched it down the pitch. And I'm thinking to myself, we're a possession team. Just keep the bloody ball. That's all you've got to do. But trust yourselves to keep it. Why would you just lump it forward? It immediately gives a suggestion that you're panicking, doesn't it? And like you almost don't trust yourselves to see it out. And obviously, with the record that we've got recently, I sort of understand that. But just keep the ball. I mean, if you keep the ball, they can't score. It's not really rocket science, is it? So, I mean, you probably felt the same as me. When you see that straight away from kickoff, you're thinking, what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, it, it is a tactic of ours from, from kickoffs. We do, it's something we've done for a while now, just boot it towards the um, the defenders straight from the kickoff. And then you obviously hope that they're going to head it down. You're going to get a, a second, you're going to get on the second ball and you've got a good position to work from. Um, but in that situation, you know, you've got two minutes of added time left to play. Just control the game. Don't give the ball straight to the team that's got the momentum, you know, and, and even when he took the, you know, when, when Grimes booted it, you could see there was no real chase um, nobody was really, you know, Buster got to get on the end of it. It was very much kick it and let Millwall have it, um, which just, you know, just handed even more momentum to them. And it just, I, I don't know, it, it we we should be. I mean, the, the the stats suggest that we are the best team in the league when it comes to holding on to the ball. You know, we should be ideally suited to this kind of situation. And this is the thing that I think frustrates so many people about, our league collapses is we should be the last team in the league that this happens to. We should be the team that can just take the sting out of a game. Just keep the ball moving, keep possession, um, control things. That's that should be our biggest strength, and it's it's instead our biggest weakness. It seems um, it definitely was on on Tuesday night. We this. There was just instantly this panic and this nervousness and this frantic energy uh, around the team. And you just that that's probably, I'm guessing, I mean, it, it must play a part anyway, down to the fact that we've been here before, that we have um, lost, well, dropped points late on in games um, by conceding big leads. And there must have been something going through those players' minds last night. Oh, no, it's not happening again, is it? And you could see that nervousness. And let's let's talk about the goal because, 
I thought we'd generally done really well from set pieces all night. Um, and we saved our worst set piece for last because after it's cleared away, it's just as if nobody knows what they're meant to be doing. And I, I looked the highlights earlier and saw Mac Grimes just frozen for a second. He's he's pointing, but you can, you can see he doesn't actually know what he's supposed to do. And he's actually the one that should be going out to the wing to close down. I can't remember who it was on the wing for Millwall, but he was in acres of space. Nobody went to close him down. And I think it was Grimes who probably should have been doing it, but he's just seems frozen in the moment. Um, not quite sure what to do. And by the time he reacts, it's too late. And he's got all the time in the world to, to measure the cross. And it goes right across the the box towards the back post. And you just see Nathan Wood. I think he's up against Cooper. I can't remember. Um, no, actually, I think Cooper may have gone off by that stage. But, but he's against one of the big guys. And um, I think Wood knows he has to do something or else, you know, the, the man he's marking is going to, probably put it in the back of the net and unfortunately for us he gets ahead on it and uh, it goes in the wrong side of the post and it it I just sank in my seat and swore under my breath it was just I, I wasn't I wasn't you know shouting or screaming or anything it was just kind of half disbelief half oh here we go again um just it on one hand it was just difficult to believe what had happened on the other hand it was it just felt like the most predictable thing on earth after conceding um that first own goal but yeah I, I it's just really disappointing that after such a, a good performance over the 90 we just crumbled in that way and added time and it's um it's concerning i'll be honest i think i was just in disbelief uh to be honest because like I say, I mean, the goals were so late and, and two of them, you're just thinking, well, surely we're, we're going to see this out. But it's a worrying trend now, isn't it? We've got to be honest about it. I know, you know, more or less a reserve team played at Oxford, but we surrendered a two-goal lead there. It was obviously last year, we were three up on Bournemouth and four one up on Reading, and both of them weren't one. I mean, look, you've got to start asking questions now about serious questions as well, I think, about game management. It's not good enough. Do we need four goals to win a game? But like it's it's genuinely ridiculous to even think about that conversation. So we've we've just got to keep the ball better after you know when you're in that type of situation. I mean, look, I'm one of these people. I don't necessarily like to see us go in for the corner, like uh, and trying to waste time at the end. But arguably, do you need to do that? I mean, we shouldn't be above that if that's what we need to do. I mean, it's well, not. Go on. I'll ask I'll ask you the question because a couple of people have raised this with me on Twitter um, since the match. Michael Obafemi had a one-on-one opportunity um, in um, added time between the two goals. Massive moment in the game. Um, fell kindly to him just inside his own half, actually, and he used his speed to get away from defenders. He's in against Biakovsky, and you think he is going to pull the trigger and score, but there's uh, an amazing tackle, in fairness, possibly the tackle of the season um, by one of the Millwall defenders, which um, which dispossesses Obafemi. And a minute later, Millwall are up the other end of the pitch and they've scored a goal. I have seen some people suggest that Oberfemi should have just taken it to the corner instead of going for goal. What are your opinion on that? I think that's a tricky one because I think when you're in one-on-one, you can't go for the corner. It just feels wrong, if you know what I mean. Like You've, you've got to back yourself to score, I think, in that situation then. But I mean, if it was somebody who wasn't as quick as him, then maybe it's a little bit different. But 
I suppose the other thing is, I, d- I thought at the time that maybe he should have passed it Perot, but I do think Perot was a little bit too far behind yeah. him. But yeah. I think the, the frustration is, I think if he'd, if he'd known that he was there, he could have given it to him and then the chance is probably easier for him possibly. Or I guess it's a tough one. I think it's, it sort of depends on the, the situation sometimes. I mean, the way that Aubameyang got in at that point, I, must, I, I have to be realistic and say that if he had gone to the corner, I probably would have been pissed off. Yeah. So you can't have it both ways. Can you? It is a, it's a sort of um, a tricky one. It sometimes depends on who the player is, I think. Um, like, to be fair, I remember Trundle was brilliant but wasting time in the corner. And obviously, he wasn't the quickest, was he? But he was there. Who was the best at it that I've seen from the Swans? Leroy Fair. I, yeah. do, you remember, do you remember that game away at Palace? Um, I think it was, well, the first game after Clement had been appointed. Um, he, I, I don't think he was properly in charge yet. Um, but the one where Rangel scored the winner. And yeah. for like five minutes straight, I swear, um, Leroy Fair was just in the corner, just holding off players, winning corners, winning corner after corner after corner, and just winding up Crystal yeah. Palace. The, the, the other mad one was the game where Ben Wilmot scored against Cardiff. I think it might yes. have been Lidge and Selina, and it was astonishing. Like, we were in there, for, honestly, I think for about five minutes that time. And if I was a Cardiff fan, I remember thinking, I would be absolutely losing my mind right now. But we were so good at it. Uh, generally, gen- generally, sorry, I should say, um, I don't like players taking the ball to the corner. I think it's more effective if you just kind of keep the ball moving, pass it, pass it back and forth in in safe areas. Um, because off usually what happens when players go for the corner, um, you know, they 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 brushed off the ball, they concede a goal kick. More often than not, it doesn't really waste that much time, and it's a bit of a waste, um, bit of a waste of a good position. Um, but um, yeah, sometimes you see it, and it's just an art form when it's done when it's done well. Um, another good, a, a very different example, of course, is Wales in the Euros against Turkey, where it looks like we're going to be um, wasting time, and then the ball's passed to Bale, and suddenly he's running down the line into the box and creating a chance for for Connor Roberts. Um, so you know, there's different ways of doing it, but. Um, yeah, I, I'll, my my position on the Obafemi chances, if he'd gone to the corner, I would have been furious. I think it opened up for a goal. Um, if you've you've got to just, the best way to kill to kill time in that situation is to go towards goal and score with that kind of open opportunity. I I, I think it would have been madness to go to the corner. Um, it's just a shame that he was tackled so brilliantly right at the end. I, I still looking back at it, I think he should have done slightly better. I think maybe protected the ball a bit more, maybe taking the shot a bit earlier, but you can't take any way, anything away from the tackle. It was unbelievable. But I guess it was just one more thing in at a time that we didn't didn't handle as well as we probably should have, and it contributed to 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 the fact that we dropped two points again. And it's um it is mad because it's now in all competitions, stretching back to last season, four times in the last 10 games that we have taken a lead of two or more goals and not managed to hold on for the, uh, for the win. That's unbelievably bad. I mean, it, it's, uh, and, and it's incredible that a team can be so bad at holding on to leads. Um, and there are different but reasons that's, that's for it. You wouldn't ask uh, any Swans player to take a dog for a walk, would it? Jeez, no, absolutely not. And it's just, I, I mean, I've never seen anything like it, but but the the idea that we can't go two goals, three goals up and, and relax, um, 
it's a problem. And by by the way, four times in the last ten games we've taken the lead um, by two. We've taken a two goal lead and not managed to hold on. To put that in context, in the ten years before Russell Martin joined the club, we'd only done that four times. So four times in ten years before Russell Martin joins, and now we're four times in the last ten games. That's unbelievable. Absolutely, so difficult to believe. I, I and and if anybody's wondering what those games were, um, the the first of those uh, was the uh, two all draw away at Wolves in our first season in the Premier League. Later the same season, we were three, um, what four one or three three definitely three nil and four one up against Wolves. Three nil and four one up against Wolves, and we drew four all. That was a, a crazy game. Uh, the next one on the list is uh, a notorious one, the FA Cup game against uh, Man City, where we were 2-0 up and shafted out of a semi-final place as we lost uh, 3-2 with some help from the referee. Uh, and the final one was uh, the one of, I think, pros, I think no, I think it was the penultimate home game of Graham Potter's um, uh, Swansea City tenure uh, against Hull City, where we were 2-0 up and conceded two late on. So, those are the four examples in 10 years before Russell Martin joined where we had done that. And now we've seen big, big collapses against Reading. We've seen one against Bournemouth. We've seen one in the Cup against Oxford. And now we've seen a ridiculous late one against Millwall too. Uh, Steve, how concerned should we be about this? Because let's face it, we played well. Everybody's praising the performance up until the 90th minute, but it's another game where we've panicked and, and not managed to, to see it out. Right. And now I think it's very concerning because, you know, it's happened for the fourth time and it's happened this time where we were 2-0 up with two to three minutes ago. So, look, like I said, you know, a few minutes ago, do we need four goals to be safe? You know, it's it's a joke, isn't it? We've got to be, you know, more streetwise. We've got to keep the ball better in these situations and not put ourselves under pressure. I mean, we've got to... You know, how, how can this keep happening? Because if it does, it doesn't matter how well we play, like we did last night. You know, it's going to hold us back. So, look, we've got to, to work on these type of things. We've got to be a bit nastier, I think. If you know what I mean? And just a bit more of a pain in the ass. You know, plenty of teams uh, can do it. I mean, it got to be fair. I mean, I, everyone knows I wasn't massive on Steve Cooper, but his teams obviously would never have uh, given anything like that away, would they? I mean, so there's there's things to be learned from different types of style of play, isn't there? And we need, we've got to get back to, to some of those traits as well as the the nice football, isn't it? But, I mean, look, occasionally, if you're 1-0 up at the end, you may concede if you put under pressure. You, I think most people will accept that, won't they? But when you're 2-up, I mean, it really shouldn't be happening. And when you've got a three-goal lead, as we have in some of the other games, I mean, I sort of allowed the Bournemouth one because they were a team still going for promotion. And if you look at it, they did have a very good side and they probably... Like the third goal, for example, in that game was um, on the break. So, you know, we probably uh, rolled our luck slightly to be three up in the first place. But, I mean, a crap red in, four one up on them. We should never, ever blow that. Same as it sounded like we were really comfortable at Oxford and blown it. And then last night, I mean, there was a matter of seconds left and a 2 0 up. So to not win is genuinely astonishing, isn't it? It literally, I put a tweet up tonight saying it's the realms of like Mike Bassett. I mean, for it to be two own goals as well, it's, it's ridiculous. So we've got to be better at seeing games out because if we're not, then it's going to continue to hold us back. Yeah, the problem we've got now, of course, is that 
our players know about this record, our fans know about this record, but the opposition will know about it as well. So when we do get to those final minutes, and even even if we have a game like the one against Millwall, where we've played very well and controlled it pretty well um, during, up until the final stages, the nerves are going to kick in from our players and the jitters are going to get there, especially if the other team get, you know, get a goal. And, you know, the opposition is going to push and push and push in that kind of situation. So, you know, you've got to be ready to deal with that. But if that first goal goes in, then suddenly the jitter is going to be there. The panics are going to be there that we're going to do it again. And, you know, there's a major risk that history will repeat itself. And it's not just the players who know that. The fans will know it. The fans will get nervous and start worrying. Um, and and that's going to take time to shake off. I think for the for the next few months, whenever we're in that kind of position, I think we're going to have some jitters and we're going to have fans worrying because we've seen this before and we've seen how the Swans can snatch draws from um, from the jaws of, uh, of victory. And um, but but it's also a problem because the opposition are going to know that they that it's never over with us and they can keep going they can keep pushing and they will always have a chance because the likes of reading have done it bournemouth did it oxford did it and millwall have done it so it's been proven we've got this soft soft underbelly we can get very easily rattled if we get under um, get put under pressure late on and and teams are just where usually they may you know accept oh it's not our day and maybe give up a little bit early that's definitely not going to happen anymore those those players are going to know that there is a way back into any game against Swansea no matter how one-sided it's been no matter what the scoreline there's always hope um and that's that's going to be difficult because people are going to be targeting us and um that doesn't make the situation any easier but it's well, it's it's a mad it's a mad mad situation to be in that we are um, conceding these big leads late on in games. Um, it's it's n- totally different to anything I've seen before. Um, but there we go. Um, it, we we just have to hope that Russell Martin can find a way around it and strengthen the team mentally because I think that is what it comes down to more than anything else. Um, I, I just think we cracked under pressure yesterday, Steve. I, I've seen some people say, you know, tactically there were issues. And I think in previous collapses, there have definitely been tactical um, flaws where we haven't done done enough to protect the lead. But last night, I, I think it was purely mental. I, I just think we, we cracked under pressure. I, I don't think really there was much more tactically that we would have done differently apart from, you know, possibly changing the, uh, the goal kick routine. But as far as I'm concerned, it just looked like we we panicked. I think these things do become psychological, don't they? If they, you know, if it becomes like a pattern. I mean, if you look at the amount of late goals Man United used to score years ago in the Ferguson, I mean, that a lot of that must have been down to that. I mean, they would obviously put a lot of pressure on, and the opposition would be thinking they always get these late goals, and it's just worry, isn't it? And often then they would get one because they'd ask questions, and the opposition would worry. I mean, now we're in a similar situation with. But it's, it's the opposite, isn't it, where we've got this record of surrendering leads. And, you know, I think it's starting to become a psychological problem. And that's what we saw, I think, late on last night. And like I say, what it's going to take now really is a couple of games maybe where we are hanging on at the end, but we see it out. I mean, I think if we do that, that will gain us confidence and we'll be, you know, we'll have the belief then that we can do it. But 
been every time that it happens, though, from now on, we are going to be, you know, worrying, aren't we? So, but it's, it's going to take us getting to the point where we can slowly rebuild our confidence in terms of seeing games out. So, hopefully, the next time we're in a situation where we have got a one-goal lead late on or whatever like that, then we get the job done, and that will help us then slowly but surely build, you know, our confidence back, and and hopefully we'll, um, you know, we'll start to see these situations through. Yeah. Um, one um, word of credit for um, Millwall. Uh, when that second goal went in, I don't know if you saw it, Steve, but their away end absolutely exploded. I mean, we were talking about how good the, the Swans away end looked when uh, when scored against Blackpool. I'll be honest, I was deep down pretty <laughs> in, in awe, really, of how they just absolutely swarmed in all directions. There were only about, it only looked like there were about 25 of them at one point, but they just suddenly multiplied when that goal went in um, and went absolutely insane. Um, so, and you can't really blame them when they've had that kind of ending to the game. Um, but yeah, another disappointment from that game, Steve, was the... Uh, was the loss of Joel Atabodier. He seems to have dislocated his shoulder. It's a nasty injury, looked very painful, stretched it off in the first half against Millwall. Um, and it's, uh, and well, he was, let's face it, only deputising really at right wing back. That's not his natural position. But does the injury to Latibaudier uh, increase the chances that we will see another right wing back come in before the window closes, do you think? Well, you'd like to think so, because obviously it looks like a nasty one and one that's going to be, you know, weak weeks, potentially months, I would have thought. So, you know, we wish him a speedy recovery. It's never nice to see um, someone get injured. Um, but we need to do it, don't we? We need to strengthen. We've been saying that for a little while, but it did look as if the club had taken out some sort of a loan, didn't it, um, last week? And I'm reading that as, you know, it was against, you know, future income and you'd only do that if you're going to spend it in the near future and what else are we going to spend it on other than players? So I think we are probably now actively... You know, looking, although we're not really being linked still the wait a minute. This must be the longest spell ever in a transfer window where we've been barely linked with anyone, and it? it is quite bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's random. They aren't even like made up links or anything like that. It's you know, the the ones that you know are, are nonsense. Um I mean on the one hand, I will be honest, I think it's a good thing that the club are able to keep their transfer business um quiet. I I don't for one second think that the fact there aren't any rumours means um, there, there aren't going to be any signings. The club are, are bound to be working behind the scenes. Um, but in the past, you know, we've had all sorts of rumours coming out. I quite like the way we've dealt with things earlier on the summer. I mean, that, the Harry Darling uh, signing came pretty much out of nowhere. There was absolutely zero uh, concrete talk about it until basically the day he was signed. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, that that's a good way for a club to operate. Um so I'm hoping that the the business is being done behind the scenes and that they've got a couple of people lined up and um, over the coming weeks um, we will see those names come in. And in fairness, that there are still well, still nearly a fortnight until the window closes, so there is time to bring people in. But um, there is a, maybe a bit more urgency, perhaps, with uh, Latibaudier now out. Yeah, but there needs to be, doesn't there? Because you know we've been saying and we the way we're short of bodies in certain positions. And I think the right wing back has been the position, hasn't it, that has required the most attention. So, yeah, now we, we really need to, to try and do something. I mean, I think we'll be OK for the weekend. I mean, we've got, you know, Sol Ranola will will play there, but there is, there's nothing else now in, in reserve is there. So, you know, we've got one game this weekend. Then we do have a free week. 
by that the end of that free week where we got Middlesbrough on the bank all day. Hopefully we will have something in. I mean, it's Wednesday evening now. I think the chances of someone coming in uh, before the weekend would appear to be quite slim. And obviously they'd have to be signed one day before uh, lunchtime on Friday to go into the squad for the weekend's game. So, you know, I think that's unlikely, isn't it? Although, as you did say, we have been quite good at keeping things under the wrap and then springing them uh, out of the blue. But, um, you know, given how quiet we've been, I have to say, I don't think we're going to see anything by the weekend. But, yeah, we, we, look, we need to get things moving now, don't we? I mean, there's not long left. And, um, you know, hopefully we need to shift uh, one or two out as well. But that's been very slow as well, hasn't it? And, of course, that's probably partly the reason why, you know, nobody's come in recently. Yeah, we uh, we just have to keep our fingers crossed that uh, we will see a couple of players come in because I think we saw against Millwall again that we could use a few bodies. I'm just keeping an eye on Premier League teams at the moment who've kept a lot of their young players back. Will we see a couple of late loan deals, perhaps them just waiting until the last second before deciding whether a couple of their youngsters will go out on loan or not? We'll have to wait and see, but hopefully, of course, we will get the... Uh, the players that we need to give Russell Martin the best chance of success. Um, one game that could actually give him a chance of success is uh, this weekend against Luton because they're one of the few teams in the division who uh, still haven't won, Steve. Uh, Tuna loss against uh, Bristol City on Tuesday night. Nathan Jones very critical. Dare I say it, Steve, is it a good time to be playing against Luton? Um, I don't know is the honest answer because... Obviously, Nathan Jones doesn't have a bad record against us, does he? Um, and you even look at that. When he was horrendous with Ronald Stoke, he managed to beat us then, didn't he? So, you know, um, I'm never overly confident going up against him, but I would absolutely love to do a number on him because he is not my favourite person in the world. But um, I was quite surprised about Paulie. They've, they've started, really. Obviously, they were one of the big success stories last season getting into the playoffs. And, you know, they're, they're winless at, at this stage, which is a little bit surprising, isn't it? But... Um, he would love to end that down here, wouldn't he? So let's make sure that uh, he is sent packing and on another miserable journey home. Yeah, Nathan Jones, not a fan favourite down at the Liberty. I think that's fair to say. But I think he's um, the kind of manager that you kind of begrudgingly admire for um, what he's achieved at Luton over the years. Um, got into the playoffs last season, playing some excellent football, it has to be said. I thought they were brilliant last season. But... They started off the campaign with a nil-nil draw against Birmingham, um, a creditable one-all-away draw against Burnley then, but then consecutive losses home to Preston and then the midweek one away to Bristol City. Um, I mean, that's that's a disappointing one, it has to be said, for them. Um, it's worth pointing out as well, they've got quite a lot of injuries at the moment. Um, Harry Cornick, Fred, Fred Onya Dinma, Alfie Doughty, Luke Berry, um, Pelle Ruddock, um, who's a very good midfielder, all out at the moment. So, I mean, th- there are vulnerabilities there, but, I mean, over the last few seasons, Steve, like you said, Steve, Nathan Jones, he's had... He's had the better of us on the whole, I think it's fair to say, both at Stoke, where he didn't have much joy against anybody apart from us, and uh, at Luton, where, um, with the possible exception of the um, the the three or last season, he's um, yeah, he's 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 consistently got the better of us. Yeah, it feels like it, doesn't it? Um, you know, it's it's frustrating, isn't it? I mean, there was that one game with Stoke. I think was he there the night that they ended up with nine men? And Dan James absolutely, you know, tore them apart. I think he may have. Oh, sure. I think he was in charge at that point, at least. So there have been 
some moments of joy. And obviously, they did screw up a 3-0 lead against us last season to come for 3 all, which was enjoyable. Um, but yeah, it does feel like they've, you know, he's he's had more results against us than than what we would have probably expected. So, you know, that is um, that is frustrating, um, especially because obviously, if uh, he is one of these very uh, odd people in the world that seems to decide uh, a club in blue are the ones to um, support. But obviously, he's been a, a big success story for for Luton, hasn't he? With uh, promotion to League One, and then you know he did a lot of the groundwork to take them into the championship, and then when he returned there after his spell stoke didn't work kept them up and obviously last year they ended up in the playoffs so you know he must be an absolute hero there and i can i can understand why but this might be uh his toughest test now obviously they probably overachieved last year and they've obviously it's you know they've, they've made a poor start now so it's it's going to be difficult for them to probably replicate what they did last year anyway i mean i th- I, I look upon Luton a little bit as a club that they're waiting for that new stadium i think if they get mm-hmm. one they will take off then because you know, as much as that ground is probably not the nicest to go to and helps them get results. I mean, and financially, it must be crippling them. I mean, mm. it must be difficult for them to even maintain being in this division. So, I mean, they get that new ground. I mean, it'll have a similar type of effect, I'd have thought, to what happened to us when we moved. So, I mean, if they can but, just stay in this division until they get that ground, I mean, I think that'll be huge for Luton. Yeah, I mean, Kenilworth Road. It's it's got it has maximum capacities less than the Vets was when 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 it closed. So, you know, I think they're averaging less than ten thousand, and that's not because they they've got empty seats. It's because they um, just haven't got any more room. You know, it's um, it's it's a fascinating ground. But like you said, Luton does feel like a club that could achieve much more if it was to make that that move to a new stadium. Um, what are the kind of things, Steve, that you'd like to see us um, kind of carry on from the Blackpool and Millwall games? And are there any things other than the fact, you know, you'd like to see us not crumble it in the final stages? Are there any things that you'd still like to see us improve before we go into the Luton game? No, to be fair, I think there was a lot right with um, with the Millwall performance. So, you know, other than that bit at the end, it's difficult to criticise really, isn't it? We, I think what we want is, you know, the likes of Uncham to you know replicate that performance. I mean, I think Perot hasn't been brilliant. I think we have to admit that. Maybe you know uncertainty over his future is is playing on his mind. I think I can understand that to an extent. Ideally, we need him to get off the mark, but at the same time, I mean, if he now bangs a few in, that might mean he ends up going. So you know, it's it's a double-edged sword, really, isn't it? In some ways, but we need Ob- family Obviously, is off and running. That's another good thing. And you know, we've got Joe Allen uh, in the team now, haven't we? And he should be able to start. So I think there's there's a lot to be encouraged about, uh, I think. So, you know, just more of the same. And then if we get into a position where, you know, we are leading late on, just be more sensible. Or obviously, if we get a chance to kill the game, great. But, you know, just just learn from some of the naivety that we've, we've had. Uh, that's the main thing that we need. But obviously, first of all, we need to get into a, a winning position, don't we? So we don't want to be talking about uh, running before we can walk. But if we can replicate what we did on the whole yesterday, you know, there's reason to be optimistic that we um, we will get a win on um, on Saturday. Yeah, hopefully. Well, what, what do you think then? Are we going to see a win on Saturday? What's your prediction? Oh, my predictions are so bad, aren't they? So, you know, um, I am leaning towards a win, but that worries me. Um, I... I'm going to say 2-0 for the Swans. 
I'm going to say 2-0 to Luton just because, well, two things. One, part of me does expect a, a Nathan Jones shit-tosing job. Um, but also, I'm very aware of how bad my predictions are. Um, so I, I am a bit fearful if I was to predict a Swansea win that it would jinx us. So I'm going to go for a 2-0 um, comprehensive Luton Town win, uh, which will sucker punch us and send us right back to, to square one. Obviously, hoping that's not going to be ha- uh, not going to happen, but I'm hoping that uh, my, uh, my my the curse of my predictions will strike and um, bless us with three points. Um, thank you very much for joining us. It's been uh, a, a very um, action-packed podcast, really plenty to discuss. Hope you've enjoyed it, despite our um, gripes about the Swans' continued collapse um, at the end of matches. But I think it is worth remembering that there have been positives over the last two games. And we're definitely feeling a lot more positive now than we were at the end of the last podcast. Who knows? We may be feeling even more positive by the time we record the next one. You'll just have to tune in to find out. Until then, thank you very much for listening. Mm